Welcome to the Renew the Mind podcast with the pastoral staff of Christ Community Church. I am Pastor Daniel, and I am joined today by Pastor Ryan, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Patrick, and our goal for this podcast is to help all of us, including us here at CCC, to be obedient to the call of Romans 2, which commands, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We are continuing on in our discussion of First Timothy, as we have kind of linked it to uh, the uh, the book of Acts and the growth of the church. This is kind of the growth of the roles of uh, ministry in the church and stuff like that. So we're going to turn it over to Pastor Jeff to get us started back up. Thank you, Daniel. Well, last week we kind of left off with verse 15, and he started verse 15 by saying there's a saying in the church. It's axiomatic of the gospel, and it's trustworthy, and it's deserving or worthy of all acceptance. And by all acceptance, I think what he means there is either accepting all everything that is true in the statement or the statement being accepted by all. So I'm, I'm not sure which one of those he means. But the statement itself, the slogan is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, I think if, you, if a person could just remember that saying, that can help you explain the gospel, because I think the gospel is all in there. Um, or just there are some cues here that would help you to remember the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, my blown-out paragraph or long sentence of the gospel is that the gospel is the royal announcement that the world's rightful king has come to lead a sinless life, die a substitutionary death, to rise from the dead victorious over sin, death, and hell, and that all who believe that message have eternal life. Mm -hmm. They are saved from and pardoned from the penalty of sin, which is condemnation and judgment. So here we have Christ Jesus. Like It starts with Christ Jesus. That's what the saying starts with. And what does that mean? What does that title mean for Paul? To be Christ Jesus. It's like Hickenbotham Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to answer. Uh, no, so it's the, that he is the anointed Messiah. That he is the, the foretold Jewish Messiah. Um, and I mean, the, the... And who is the Messiah? Messiah is, God, is God's promised servant. Uh, who is both a conquering king and a, a suffering uh, a suffering servant who works, uh, who inaugurates the kingdom of God, who works righteousness in mm. his people, who conquers the enemies, who binds up the broken. He is a right, right. messianic figure in, yeah. in, in the truest sense of the, of the term. It's a loaded term. Yeah. It's a loaded <laughs> word. It is like a suitcase that has been packed and you have to unpack it and take all the stuff out of I it. I thought it just meant political savior. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it certainly doesn't mean less, but it does mean more. Um, That's how the Jews took it, right? That is, yeah. because they read passages in the Old Testament about a warrior king. And these passages are in Isaiah. One, they had David as the exemplar. He's the type. So they had David as the, the apotheosis of the warrior king. And David literally comes out of the desert the way that Isaiah predicts that the good news is going to be coming from <laughs> from the desert yeah. back mm. to the city. So so David is the what we call the type 
Christ is the anti-type or the um, the archetype. Mm-hmm. Christ is the finishing type, uh, in which the pattern escalates to its termination. So Christ Jesus, I think everything Daniel said is exactly right. He is the anointed king. He's the suffering servant, the royal son. So they did read in Isaiah these war- beautiful warrior yeah. king passages, and he's he's bad to the bone. He's yeah. coming to to bring the smackdown. But then they screened out passages like Isaiah 52 and 53 mm. and many other passages, actually, in the Minor Prophets, which talk about his suffering, um, the Messiah's suffering. And, and you can imagine how difficult it would be to put those two things together, right? But Christ is for sure his—that word Christos in Greek means the anointed one. It has to do with the king. And it's the Greek counterpart of the Old Testament Hebrew Mashiach which means we translate as Messiah. And so uh, Christ just means the anointed king. Who is Jesus? Who is that? Why is it important to not just say Christ, but Christ Jesus? In fact, in one place he says Christ Jesus from Nazareth. (laughs) Because of the Old Testament fulfillment. It's tying in um, who God's promised messenger would be, who is servant to the king that is coming in. So putting that title with Jesus solidifies that this is who the Old Testament prophets were pointing towards. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think pro- prophecy fulfillment is very important there. Uh, what about the humanity of Jesus, though? Why is it important that uh, the Messiah comes Into as an image bearer? Because of his need to be the mediator between God and mankind. He right. needs to be both. Representational. Yeah. Yeah, we need a, we need a new Adam. New Adam. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what Paul talks about. Is that Romans 5? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last Adam, through the last Adam came what? Sin death. and death. Sin, and through sin, death. death. Yeah. And what did death, uh, what's the scope of that death? It's complete. It's total. Total. Yeah. But who died after Adam? All. All, All of his descendants. Yeah. And then in Romans 8, we find out that the entire cosmos, the entire world, has actually been frustrated. I mean, he he uses that word, in futility, in a state of futility, until the revelation of the sons of God, right? So so here we have Christ Jesus. We have Christos. We have the anointed king uh, who comes with good news. And we have Yeshua of Nazareth who is the human image bearer, the representation of humanity before God in his heavenly sanctuary. But then we also, he says he came into the world. What does that have to do with? What does that presuppose? Presupposes that he wasn't from this world. (laughs) That's right. His existence preceded. Pre-existence. Yeah. Yeah. And this is precisely what John teaches, that Jesus was pre-existent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As the rhema. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that he created all things and that there nothing has been made that that was made uh without him meaning he is yeah. uncreated and then 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us right the glory of the only that's what he's talking about i mean this is john one right here in a in, just a simple statement yes. right came into the world the incarnate son of god who mm-hmm. pre-existed as the lagos from eternity mm-hmm has now come into the world in bodily form, and what did he come to do? To save sinners. Hmm. Everything he did was geared toward the mission of saving sinners. Hmm. Now, there are some... I just read a commentary in Romans 8 
where the commentator, one of my favorite writers in the Christian church, his name is N.T. Wright, and Bishop Wright or Dr. Wright uh, is just one of the most eloquent, learned theologians and historians in the New Testament church. But I just think he's gotten a little askew here. The focus of God's saving work and plan is the human being first. You fix the man, you fix the world. Mm. The world is waiting in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons, not the other way around. We're not waiting for the renovation of the world. The world is waiting for our renovation and resurrection. So it's to save sinners. This is the program. I mean, this is the, the white hot center of his program. That's part of that was part of Gabriel's announcement to Mary. You shall name him Jesus, a form of he Joshua. Save his people <laughs> because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. That's great. And what does Joshua mean? It means God saves. It means Yahweh saves. Yeah. I mean, it's it's those two words smushed together, and that's why he says, "And he will save his people from their, their sins. sins." Yeah, mm-hmm. good call. I like that passage. Um, so his whole mission from beginning from stem to stern has been to save sinners. Now look what he says, of whom I am the preeminent. Patrick, what does that infer? Like we talked about last week, that he is, that Paul is now, if Christ is the archetype of uh, the, the anointed king and the savior, Paul is the archetype of the sinner. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. Exactly. I love the attitude of this presentation. It's the, you know, it could have easily said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, <laughs> of which you are the worst. <laughs> but no, the attitude yeah. is, is one of humility. Like, and I mean, he's speaking from a place of, of gratitude. Sure. Um, but the, and, and that, that, is, that is one of the things where the gospel is a very personal, though it's not private and it's not disconnected from right. community. It is a very personal recognition of, of, our individual rescue right. as well as our, you know, our corporate, yeah. our corporate rescue. Um, and it's an ownership. It's a, it's an, an ownership of our sinfulness. It is not just a, exactly an outward facing. Cause that, you know, that is in general, much of humanity's problem is, is if you could just be different, yeah, I could be happy. Hmm. If you could just be different, the world exactly. would be at peace. If these people would oh. just be off the internet, life would be wow. peachy. You know, like, um, and yet Paul's whole disposition is an ownership yeah. of, of his own sin, of all that he's done. Yeah, yeah. man, I think well, you're both exactly right. He's the he's the he's the the quintessential sinner, yes. the type, the example that we should all follow. And Daniel, you're right. Taking personal ownership of our own stuff. Right. And confessing that to God. Now, can you imagine hmm. if Paul had said to Jesus on the road to where was he going? Was it Antioch or Damascus? Damascus? Damascus, yeah, sorry. So he's on this road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him, knocks him off of his horse yeah. in this blazing revelation that puts his eyes out. I mean, just awesome. And he's just getting a glimpse, right? Yeah. So what if Paul were to say, um, no, actually, I'm not, I'm not persecuting. I mean, I might be, but it's, that's not sin. That's just the way I was born. <laughs> I was just born that way. It's just the culture that I grew up in. It's just the culture that I grew up in. Yeah. This is the way I am. Could he have received salvation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how could you? But that is what every sinner does that says uh, all these other uh, vices in the list that he gives here in verses 10, 11 or whatever. 
they're, except for mine. They're all sin except for mine. And so what yes. we have to be willing to do is to confess our sin. That's yeah. how we come mm-hmm. into this salvation knowledge of Christ. And we know this saying is trustworthy because as he's saying, I'm the archetype of sin, but look at the effects of the gospel over me. Yeah. I've been transformed. Yeah. So he's giving two, not the trust, the statement is trustworthy because I'm saying it, but also because I'm the example of it. Exactly. Yeah. This pugnacious, arrogant, violent mm-hmm. rabbi who, th- who was a know-it-all of know-it-alls yeah. got gloriously transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus That's right. and then went into these other cities with these Gentiles whom he is not even supposed to share the same yeah. side of the street with and hobnobs with them and gives them the gospel. Right. This is a transformation that... Gives, gives away the inheritance of Israel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's given away the family silver. Like Exactly. <laughs> it's our inheritance is now yours. Yeah. You're welcome to to partake of our inheritance. Amazing work of transformation. Okay, so verse 16, he says, uh, he was the foremost sinner, but that God chose him for the purpose of demonstrating his utmost patience. So we we mentioned that he was the type. Now he talks about, though, uh, that that he's the example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. What is eternal life? Those who are going to believe... Uh, he is the example set before them of a sinner who's repented at the message now, and he's received eternal life, and now that message is is available to all for eternal life. So what do we mean? This phrase is zoane ionion, hmm. right? And the phrase stresses both the quali- quantity of life... And the quality. And the quality. Yeah. So what's the quantity What's Zoane Ionian? The duration. Yeah. Eternity. Duration. Yeah. So we won't, unless the Lord comes back, um, we will die, but we will keep living. We will go be with the Lord uh, in eternity and await our resurrected bodies in which we will then keep on living. Like So there's an eternal We will always have consciousness. Life. Is that what's being <laughs> said there? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Some don't, but I do. <laughs> so. When the Old Testament, yeah. it describes God as from everlasting to everlasting. Yeah. And this is kind Almighty. of the phrase here, yeah. um, this idea of Ionion. And this is the idea from the ages to the ages. Yeah. So the word is literally translated age yeah. or ages. Um, so we have birth now to the ages. <laughs> so are you, right. are you saying, which I know Ooh. you're not, Ooh. but are you saying... That we have been eternally existent. No. And so this is not some reconciliation back into the pre-born right. life that we once had. This no, is a, it is This is being brought into something That's right. wholly other than what we have experienced. There is only one person in the New Testament that is said to be pre-existent, mm-hmm. and that is Jesus, uh, the Son. And the rest of us have life at birth yeah. and we know this because david in the psalms talks about this he says the you know what, is, what does he say there in the psalm about the lord knowing him uh knit me together in my mother's womb. Yeah, yeah knit yeah. me together in my mother's womb jeremiah all uses all that days same of my life have been recorded in your book before everyone was yeah exactly yeah. exactly so um so we have eternal life in the sense that we have everlasting life from this point forward yeah 
So God has are, everlasting life from this point forward and this point backward yeah. to infinity. So we are okay. immortal beings that are brought into eternal life. Right. The qualitatively and and but our immortality doesn't see it, it sorry. Yes. Yes. Our our soul is immortal. It is not right. destroyed at any point. But it is it has a fixed point in time that goes That's right. that goes forward. So unless quantity, you're an annihilationist. But that's right. Quantitatively, um, you and I have life forever. This, this is what forever and ever means. And he's actually going to use that yeah. phrase here. But forever and ever means from this point onward yeah. with no end. But qualitatively, exactly. it has to do with the God kind of life, the idea of Zoane yeah. or Zoe. Yeah. Uh, some people name their kids that. Um, but that is the God quality of life. Now, Second Peter one four. Here's an interesting verse. I want to throw it out to you and get your reaction. He says, "By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may partake." That word is share. It's the word koinonoi, uh, which means yeah, to fellowship or share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So, what's he talking about there? Believers sharing in the divine nature. What does that mean? So the first question would be, is it sharing in his nature or being a part of sharing the experience of who he is? Do we have to figure that out first? Yeah, good question. (laughs) That's a good question. So I would jump, obviously, well, not obviously to all, but for me, my brain jumps to creation. How are we created in his image, his likeness already? Very good. So there's something that we already have but it was marred through sin, are we just merely returning to an original state which God intended of his likeness, sharing in, because we share in his work. Right. He created everything, he filled it and ruled over it, and then what does he tell Adam to do? The very first command, create, fill, and rule. And so I think it's a return and a participation of what we've already been. That's good. So then image bearing would be a reflection, but not the reality. Yeah. Right? In in part. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at your face in a mirror, for all the world, that looks like your face. Mm. But that's not your face. That's a reflection of your face. So image bearing is a reflection yes. of those aspects. What did you say the three were? Uh, create, fill, and rule. Create, fill, and rule. That's awesome. And multiply. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Ryan? Uh can you read the verse one more time? The verse first is Peter. Uh, first, Second Peter 1, Second 4. Peter. He says, by these... He, God, has given us very great and precious promises, very great and precious promises, so that through them you might partake, koinonoi, in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Yeah, so I think two things. Already, not yet, is where I go, and I think that's what Patrick was hitting on. Already, in the sense that how we partake of those promises now is through Jesus Christ and our union with him. That's good. And so we experience that through the Holy Spirit. That's so we do have a us. mystical union, you're saying. For sure, yes. In Christ. In so when Christ. Paul says, you're in Christ, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that, from my understanding of it, is that it means that by God's Spirit we are united to him in such a way that um, our sin was placed upon him and that he gives us his righteousness, the right standing mm-hmm. before God, Um and by the Holy Spirit, we are then able to live holy lives. Um, right. And that's what we we're called to do. And so that's kind of the already part that I was He says on. the Holy Spirit is in you. Yeah, exactly right. And the Holy Spirit was promised. And the Holy was Spirit is a promise. Yeah. And so Great and precious promise. Is, so that's one of the promises I think that Peter's yeah. probably 
And then the not yet is that First Peter is, or excuse me, second the Peter books are really a book of hope and encouragement uh, and suffering well as well, especially with First Peter. But um, of what is to come, oh, and that's what great. is to come, that's great. Is that we will fully realize this um, holy life, this partaking of the deity, so to speak, and not the sense that we ourselves become God, right. we become like our God and are free from sin and suffering, yeah. and that's going to be a beautiful yeah. thing. That, that, that's beautiful. Yeah. Context is everything. Yeah. And so you bringing up the context of First and Second Peter, yeah. the end of all things is near, he says in First Peter 4, mm-hmm. but in this chapter, in like Second Peter chapter 1, he's already said, you and I have escaped the corruption of this age. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. the great and precious promise yeah. that the spirit now dwells in us and we're escaping the corruption and the word corruption there just means the dying. Yeah. yeah. This age is passing away and yeah, we've we escaped it. And the, king, and the kingdom of God is an expression of the nature of God. Yeah. And so that participation right. in the divine nature is part of the participation right. in the ki- in the all of the the heavenly promises of the kingdom here here on earth including the, the escaping from the, yeah. the sting of death and the, you know, Paul, t- I mean, Peter talks a lot about in those, uh, in his two epistles, you are citizens of a, of Another a separate place. Yeah. You, are, you are so, you know, Sojourners, uh, you're something yeah. otherworldly now, truly, yeah. um, because of this. Yeah. That's yeah. an awesome thought. Well, you're going in the right direction there. I want to point out that the word coin annoy used in the New Testament. I'll just give you a few examples of that word being used in the New Testament. Luke 5.10 says that James and John uh, were the koinonoi of Simon and Andrew, meaning they were partners in business. That's how it's translated. Mm -hmm. They were partners in a Mm co-op, a fishing co-op from their town. So they are koinonoi with each other. Paul, speaking of uh, to Philemon, the slave owner, in verse 17, tells him, if you think of me as a koinonoi, then receive Onesimus as you would me. So there he says, if you think of me as your partner, yeah. if you think of me as your, your bondservant in Christ or partnering in Christ, yeah. Jesus chastised the Pharisees in Matthew twenty three thirty for constantly saying, if we had been alive back then, we would not have partnered or shared in the killing of the prophets. And then Jesus says, well, now you, you, you testify against yourself. You're the sons of the ones who, and I'm the prophet, and you're the ones who are about to kill me. So, um, so but there, it, there's the idea of sharing in their ministry. So that gets back to what you said, sharing in the business of the kingdom enterprise. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then Paul tells the Philippians that because of their great gift of generosity in chapter 1, verse 7, they became sharers, partners with him in this ministry of the gospel. So I think when we come to Peter, it seems pretty clear this is what he's talking about. We are sharing in the mission and the ministry of God in the world yeah. of saving us from corruption. We yeah. shared in that life, that yep. divine life. Um, and, that, and that, I think, is, is a reasonable understanding of yeah. this does not mean we become divine beings. Yes, yeah. It doesn't equate equality, like when Paul says to... Uh, about Onesimus, like their peers, their their co-peers. That's how he would have thought of that, correct? But that's not how Peter's intending it. Right. He's not saying we are co-equal. He's not saying we're co-equal. He says we're partakers, sharers, yeah. and partners in the enterprise. Right. Because that's the way it's used in every other place in the New Testament. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, God did not say to Adam, "We are co-equals. Go do what I do." That's right. It was just yeah. go do what I do because you're like me. Right. He's a vice regent and he becomes an idolater and a sinner when he decides to become the regent. 
Right. Mm. Treason. <laughs> yeah. He commits treason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Jeff, I, Jeff, I'm so glad that you brought up... Uh, relaying this back to the end of verse 16 in the eternal life, brought up the, uh, the quantity and the quality. I always get my uh, tongue tied here. Um, because we always typically think of it as the quantity, right? right. Well, and that is the reality. The reality is, is that uh, unbelievers have eternal life as well. It's just not the quality that we're talking right. about whatsoever. That's a good point. Uh, a good point. They, they will go on, um, unfortunately, and, and it's so sad, but they will According go on According to Revelation 19, yeah. the passage that teaches <laughs> a millennium. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, but no, you're right about that. Just to think about that. There is eternal life for all, um, but what is the quality that we are promised? What is the reality that we get to experience? That's, that's the hope. And... Uh, and a beautiful thing. To, yeah, that's to awesome. Yeah. What's what's an inappropriate meditation on that quality? Like when I think of what do we want people to think about when we come to that quality life with Christ? I, mean, I remember people saying, I don't want to go to heaven because I don't want to be in a big stadium just singing for the whole time, which oh, I'd yeah. say like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to want to do that. I mean, that's going to be what your heart desires. But um, what were some ways we can go that's inappropriate? I think you always want to direct people's mind to being in the presence of God, yeah. being in the presence of the Lord, Savior, yeah. Jesus Christ, and uh, not so much as what we get in heaven, yeah. because we get him, and yes, there's going to be, you know, my understanding, rewards and, and differing things, but I don't want to, it's often been described as I was growing up, we'll have the streets of gold and the various mansions, great but who cares a, gold is yeah. gravel up there yeah, and a perfect like, golf game I'm gonna yeah. have. gold is pavement <laughs> i might have hair i don't know but like, <laughs> set, set your minds on your savior you know but i also think it, it enables yeah. us to enjoy more rightly even though we don't enjoy it perfectly and right and perfectly righteously it enables us to enjoy more rightly uh the the earth yes natural yes. creation yeah. marriage right. sex yeah, relationships. I mean, like it working. If we have a if we have a redeemed view of vocation, yeah, uh, it can give it. it yeah, it can free us from the toil. Some yeah. of the some of the burden right. of the toil right. of the curse. And, well, is, yeah. Isn't that a promise of heaven that yeah. we're going to enjoy work like Adam yeah. did? Yeah. Exactly. And so it's it's though it is not fully realized, it it enables us to to yeah. more good. rightly enjoy creation than anybody than anybody else on the planet yeah. right right i would say a person who is filled with the spirit can enjoy their work more fully than a person who is not does not know christ and isn't filled with the spirit mm-hmm. and i would just say that that both are true yeah. it's the presence of god which makes the work that god gives us and i do believe we will have a vocation in the new jerusalem mm-hmm. i'm rooting for pilot <laughs> yeah yeah no um so, yeah, you, you know, but being a doorkeeper in the house of God, being a yeah. guy who just holds open the door to the auditorium will be it. so blissful <laughs> because the presence, the glorious presence of God is there, and the word glory means weight. Mm. And if you've ever been in the manifest presence of God, I have been in a few times in my life. It is like a, it is like a glorious heaviness. Yeah. It is this glorious weight and you're in ecstasy. You, you you just immediate ecstasy in his presence. You can feel it in your spirit. So I that's what heaven's going to be. And uh, anyway, I know we're out of time, but I'll let you wrap it up. Yeah, we uh, we have come to the end of this one. We hope that you uh, that you join us. We thank you for joining us. We hope you join us next week too. Uh, until then, we love you. We can't wait to see you. And uh, we're signing off. Mm-hmm.